It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Potpourri edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. We'll look at some sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We've got a an interesting gambling segment. Of course, we'll make a Preakness pick, and we've got a bunch of questions uh, from Ask Skinny Anything, where you can go to Twitter on a weekly basis and fire your questions at Rick. Just find the hashtag Ask Skinny Anything, and you can literally ask me a question on any subject, sports or otherwise, and I will give it my best effort to answer it. It may not be the answer you want, but it will be an answer. Rick, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. I, I was. I, is it still wedded bliss for you a couple of weeks into this? Oh, no. Uh, she had food poisoning on the way back from the honeymoon, so we were testing out in sickness and in health right off the bat. So. Yeah, there you go. That's, yeah. that's a great test to it right there, buddy. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. The Bengals welcomed the team back to Paul Brown Stadium for voluntary offseason workouts this week. One notable absence was safety Jesse Bates. Multiple outlets reported that Bates has no intentions of playing the 2022 season under the franchise tag, and ESPN's Jeremy Fowler said that Bates and the Bengals have quote, made no tangible progress on a new contract. Skinny, what do you think of the way the Bengals are handling the Jesse Bates situation? And do you find either side at fault here? I find neither side at fault. I think both sides are handling it the way they need to handle it. Um, it, it is a business after all. And, and so, you know, Jesse Bates camp, and you've not heard Jesse Bates say this. Um, this is his camp saying it. Um, and he wasn't coming to OTAs anyway, Rick, unless he got an extension. I, I know what nobody blames him for that. Nobody will blame him for that. It's voluntary. There's no reason to come risk injury in a voluntary circumstance when you're trying to get a long-term extension. So it's easy for his camp to put out there, he's not going to sign the extension. Because you know what? He wasn't coming anyway. So they can, they can see he's not going to come to this. Well, he wasn't coming anyway. And for the Bengals, I, I said this a couple of months ago. It wasn't very popular. I just don't see them signing Jesse Bates to a long-term contract. I, I think it's a circumstance of you can't pay everybody. They don't value safety as a premium pay position, which is what he wants. He wants top dollar um, in the marketplace to play. I don't blame him for that, but I also don't blame the Bengals either for saying, look, we're going to give you 13. We, we want you to be a part of the 2022 Cincinnati Bengals at a handsome $13 million of guaranteed money if you sign the franchise tag. Yes, there is some risk involved. You know, if they didn't want Jesse Bates, Rick, they would have let him walk after after this past year because he's a free agent. They want him for at least this year. And then it's kind of, you gave us five good years. We can't afford you any longer. We've drafted your replacement. Go get your money, guy. So I think when push comes to shove, he's not leaving $13 million on the table. He'll sign the, he'll sign the tag, and I just don't see the sides uh, coming to an agreement on a contract. I've never seen that taking place. I've, I've always been in the camp. They're just not going to sign him to an extension. Well, I think the Bengals have been very upfront and clear about how they're approaching this too. I mean, they didn't give him the contract before they went out and they drafted another safety this year, high in the draft. I mean, they've been pretty clear that it's like, you're not the guy going forward. We don't need you to be the guy making top dollar. If you want to sign at a discount, maybe we can talk about that. Or if you just want to play this year, that's fine. But it's not like the Bengals are doing a bunch of smoke and mirrors here and leaving someone hung out to dry pretty clear what their path is and quite honestly I, I think it's easy to forget Jesse Bates was really good in the playoffs but some of that had to do with Pat Mahomes making a crazy throw that he probably should have never made that ended up being an easy tip for Jesse Bates that led to an interception you know I mean the, the interception in the end zone of the Super Bowl was obviously a huge play but for most of the season last year Jesse Bates was kind of non-existent 
I, I, it'd just be hard for me to see how he is worth top dollar in the NFL at his position, especially at a position like safety, which, as you said, the Bengals aren't going to value like that. So I have no issue with the Bengals not wanting to pay him, and I don't really think they probably should. I think it's the smart move. On the other side of things, I always find it tough when the guys say they're going to sit out. And like you said, that may or may not happen. I kind of doubt that it would. But even if Jesse Bates did decide to sit out this season and not play under the franchise tag, it can be annoying, especially as a fan, when it feels like no matter what contract you sign a guy to, if he plays well, he's not going to honor that contract. But at the same time, I can completely get it from Jesse Bates' situation. If he doesn't want to get injured playing a year where he's not guaranteed long-term money, that's up to him. But I think ultimately when those guys do sit out, they end up, one, giving away a year of their prime, which in a sport especially like football where you can be so limited for how long you get to play the sport anyway, it's you're really playing with fire and potentially just losing some joy from your life of the opportunity to play in your prime. Like I wouldn't want to give that up as an athlete. And then two, I think it makes you look like you have some baggage when you do that. Well, Rick, it's also $13 million guaranteed. I mean, that's the right. It's not like he's playing for 2 million. Right. I mean, on a rookie contract. Yeah. I mean, he made four point, what, nine mil over his four years of his rookie contract. He's literally tripling that salary in one season. You know, we can argue what life changing money is, but I think $13 million puts you in a comfortable place in life, even if something catastrophic happened to you. And listen, I get that, that the injury thing is, 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 is a possibility, and a catastrophic one is. But Joe Burrow had a catastrophic injury and came back and played and played at a high level. I mean, today's medicine, I mean, Alex Smith literally almost died and lost a leg and came back and played. So, yep. I mean, again, I'm not shortchanging what could catastrophically happen to a human being in this game. But at the same time, even if you get hurt, You've got 13 mil pocketed. You know, somebody's going to re-sign you when you get back to health. It may not be the, 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 the big contract, that second contract you thought you were going to get. But if you play well on maybe a one-year make-it deal, then somebody will probably pay you. I just, listen, it's just the business of the NFL. You can't pay everybody. And, and people can argue, well, you know, well, he's a great player and he's great locker room. He's all those things. But you can't pay T. Higgins top dollar, Jamar Chase eventual top dollar. Um, you're paying Joe Mixon top dollar. Um, you, you, you can't pay Trey Hendrickson top dollar. You can't pay every position group top dollar. It just doesn't work like it's not the Bengals being cheap. It's just a matter of you can't pay them all. And in the case of safety, they've already determined we're, we're, we've got two young kids. We're going to start churn and burn. And they feel like that's probably a, you know, a turn and churn position of draft the guy, get him through for four or five years. Um, if it's a reasonable second contract, we'll do it. If not, we'll do this all over again. And I think you're going to start to see that with some wide receivers. I'm, I, listen, don't be shocked if T. Higgins is not around after four years. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough to keep them all together. And I think the thing you look at, especially in the bait situation, is do you have Ed Reed? Do you have Troy Polamalu right. here? Are right. they a game changer that you that you should be spending top dollar for? Obviously not. And in that case, I, I know there are some advanced metrics and there's probably a stats nerd out there that could give me some type of number that suggests this, but... How much is Jesse Bates worth over a replacement level player? Right. You know, I mean, is there a huge drop off between him and Dax Hill a year from now? Maybe, but I tend to think probably not. You know, I just I don't understand why the Bengals would give him top safety in the NFL type money. And at the same time, like you were bringing up the guys who sit out a year. 
I'm not going to get mad at anyone who wants to do that, but I think overall it's probably the wrong call on their side. And, and you brought up some good points with just how good medicine is in this day and age. I mean, how many injuries do you really suffer that you can't come back from in 2022? Especially at his age. We're not talking about some 34-year-old safety here, right? You're talking about a guy in his mid-20s still. He's still a young guy. So, um, you know, and, and, I, and I just go back to – I know fans – and I, I I saw some on Twitter and I saw some on message boards, et cetera, that, that, you know, are wringing their hands at the whole stance of Jesse not signing and playing. Like I said, you can talk tough right now, his camp can, because he wasn't coming to this anyway. And that makes it look like, see, he's not, we're not at push come to shove stage yet. That'll come in early to mid July and July 15th being the deadline. Um, that's when we'll know if this talk is real. I, I just don't believe it is, Rick. I, I think it's an easy way to talk tough right now because it's the only leverage you've got is he's not going to sign it. Okay, well, we'll see if that's the case on July 15th. Well, hell, and in this city with what you see going on over uh, down the block a little bit with the Reds, go ahead and get some fans to put the pressure on ownership. They might change their plan of attack as the Reds did this offseason. So I get why you might try that route. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't see that that taking place. And, and uh, I one thing was, we've learned I, I, is that the Brown family isn't going to cave on things like this. Yeah, and while OTAs, this phase of OTAs, you can't run plays against each other. They can line up and run drills as a as a offense or a defense and do it on air, or actually have offensive players do walkthroughs against defensive or excuse me, offensive players do walkthroughs against offensive players, and defense do walkthroughs against defense just to get guys lined up right. I thought that was pretty symbolic. That right away, in the first time the first team defense went out there, Dax Hill was in J- Jesse Bates' spot at safety. It was almost as if, you don't want to play, here we are. Here's our guy. Next man up. Was there anything else interesting that you saw during the workouts this week? No, I, I brought up, and, and I, I did the, the podcast with Paul Daner Jr., the athletic, yesterday, and I brought up, and he, he asked about, he asked me the question of what did you think of Joe Burrow not wearing the brace. I said, I think it's, I think it's at least symbolic to some degree to now see him without the brace. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't want to make a huge deal of that, but it just felt like that was kind of the, oh, hmm, one year later, now we're full no brace. Now this just feels like, who? Because it felt like every time last year, and we're probably going to be this way this year when he drops back, right? Everybody, every fan is of pins and needles of him getting hurt. But it just felt like when you watch him in the brace, it, it just felt scarier, like, you're waiting for any second for something bad to happen. It just felt symbolic to watch him out there without the brace. Well, he clearly got over this later in the season. I mean, look, yes. look what he did late in the season on the playoffs Money. and everything. But right. if you remember, even about, I want to say midway through, or maybe it was a little bit earlier than that, we were talking during our post-game podcast that there were those occasions where he looked a little uncomfortable when people were falling down around his legs and he didn't always seem like he wanted to fully step into a throw and he left some things high. And so – I do think, you know, not to make a, a huge deal out of him not wearing the brace, but I, I do think there's clearly a shift in his mental from where he was at entering last season to where he's at entering this season of how comfortable he is with that knee. I mean, obviously that's expected considering how far removed he is from his surgery now, but uh, I would agree with you that it is kind of symbolic of that switch in his mind that he's no longer thinking about that knee at all when he's out there playing. Yeah, and it was it, it, when they were doing some uh, some running plays. Again, they were doing it eleven on o, you know, literally running it on air. But they were just getting timing down, etc. Of, of handoffs, and the quarterbacks were required. I'm assuming they were required, or maybe it's just a conditioning thing. Where as soon as they handed it off, they had to follow the play. And and Joe Burrow was trying to out sprint everybody else. So I mean, it, it just it, he just looked like a guy like okay, but back to full health. We're good to go. What's more useful in your opinion, eleven on o in football or five on o in basketball? 
because God are both boring to watch as a spectator. Yeah, I'm I I'm a, I'm not a big five one zero guy. I, I will occasionally in practice I'll split two groups into five one zero for about fifteen minutes, especially like right before the start of the season where you want to go through all your sets real quick and you don't want to stop. But I don't know what value you get in five one zero. I just I never did. You know what I love about it though? College coaches get so mad during it all the time. Like they're yelling at the guys for not being intense and not beating a imaginary defender in front of them and i always find that to be very funny you're not screening properly (laughs) i'm not screening anybody coach i don't know where he is i'm not sure where i'm supposed to be with no one else on the floor exactly yeah all right one more Bengals topic to get to here two more Bengals legends will be selected by season ticket members and suite holders to join the franchise's ring of honor the four inaugural inductees last year were paul brown anthony munoz ken anderson and ken riley Two more will be selected this year from the following list. Willie Anderson, Jim Breach, James Brooks, Chris Collinsworth, Isaac Curtis, Corey Dillon, Boomer Esiason, David Fulcher, Chad Johnson, Tim Crumry, Dave Lapham, Max Montoya, Lamar Parrish, Bob Trumpy, and Reggie Williams. Skinny, who do you think is most deserving? I do want to bring up one thing before we do that, because I wrote a column. You can go to local12.com. I laid out who I would vote for and, and how I narrowed it down. Um, and, and I and I brought another person up as kind of a separate category. What what should the Bengals do with Dave Lapham? Should they just go ahead and plop him in just because of, of – I don't think he makes it on merits of a player, and I say that knowing he had a nice career. He started in a Super Bowl, but he's really – you want to talk about face of the Bengals for how many ever decades you're going on probably 45, 50 years with him being a, 50 years, literally since he was drafted, being a member of this organization. Should he simply, should they simply just plop him in? Cause I just don't know if you, if you do this as a fan vote from a player perspective, I, I don't think lap ever makes it, but lap should be in, shouldn't he? Yeah. See, I, I look at lap as more of a lifetime achievement award yes. and, and yeah. going in kind of as a broadcaster too. And I think that's, you know, I mean, I would put him sort of in the Paul Brown spot. Like I would think he would still get in at some point, even though he doesn't have the credentials as a player necessarily. I thought about that one actually. And I actually considered him for this round just because of his presence with the organization. But I think there's still a few more players that need to get in first, but I, I honestly think Dave could be in, you know, maybe maybe not necessarily next year's, but the year after that, like, I don't think there's too many more names you need to get through player wise before you're like, okay, now, you know, Dave Lapham deserves to be here just on lifetime achievement, if nothing else. So I narrowed it down to four Rick and the four were Willie Anderson, Corey Dillon, Chad Johnson, Lamar Parrish with James Brooks and Isaac Curtis, just on the outside of that group. And and I, interesting. Yeah. And Isaac Curtis is probably underappreciated because he doesn't have gaudy, gaudy numbers, but he played in a much different era of NFL football. And um, I, 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 I think that kind of gets, gets underestimated. And, and so those are my four. I narrowed it down to um, Corey Dillon, the all-time leading rusher in team history um, played on bad teams and was ganged up on and still had incredible uh, seasons. And two of the great, two of the top 17 rushing performances in NFL history uh, with the Bengals, Chad Johnson, the all-time leader in this franchise and in, in catches um, in, in yards and in touchdown receptions. And then there's Willie Anderson, three-time All-Pro, not Pro Bowl, All-Pro, arguably the best right tackle of his generation. He was one of 15 finalists for the Hall of Fame this year, didn't make the cut to the final eight uh, that, that are going to be inducted, but one of 15 semi- or finalists uh, for the Hall of Fame. And then Lamar Parrish, 
Six Pro Bowls in with the Bengals in the 1970s out of the eight years he played with them. He was selected to ProFootballReference.com's All-1970s First Team um, as a cornerback. And, and Ken Riley was a second-team choice. Think about that for a second. Was a great return man. Has 13 non-offensive touchdowns, which ranks fifth in NFL history. Lamar Parrish literally is the most underappreciated Bengal, in my opinion, in history. And I say that because I grew up watching him play. He was Deion Sanders before Deion Sanders. He should be in the Hall of Fame, believe it or not. And I told you last year I would have voted ahead of him ahead of Ken Riley, and I'm not besmirching Ken Riley. So for me, the choice was easy. Willie Anderson's close to the Hall of Fame. He should be in. And Lamar Parrish, in my opinion, he should be in the Hall of Fame. And he's my he's my other vote with Corey Dillon and, and Chad Johnson, the two guys I would vote for next year. Okay, so I had four names as well. And for me, one of them is definitely in, and that's Chad Johnson. I, I think he should automatically be in one. Best it's funny, it, yeah, Rick, I, it's funny you say that. And, and I'm not, I'm not, like I said, he's one of my finalists. I could make a really strong case. I think it's really generational for those that would push Chad Johnson ahead. And I get it because that, that, that's your guy. Yeah. But I think there's, I think that's part of why he would get in because Chad was the face of bringing the Bengals back for a lot of us. You're right. You know, I mean, that was a, a waste of a franchise for most of our childhood. And then all of a sudden you have those handful of years that were very fun to be a Bengals fan again. And a lot of that was due to Chad Johnson's emergence. And uh, he's the best receiver in franchise history. I don't think that's really up for debate. So no, I would have all the numbers. Yeah, I would have Chad Johnson automatically in this one. And again, there's also just the, the standpoint of I'm going a little bit with who I think is going to get the votes here as well. I'm, I'm factoring that in somewhat to my, to my well, thought process. I, and I think a lot of people are of the age right now that they, they remember keep, Chad really fondly. They know him and he was such a fun player too. Right. Keep in mind this though, that, that don't forget the votes are weighted depending on your tenure as a season ticket holder. That's true. So That's true. those, those older people who remember Lamar Parrish that have been season ticket holders longer than people who remember Chad Johnson, that's going to wait a little bit more. So then I had three names for the second spot. And Lamar Parrish would have been the fourth name here for me. I, and part of that is, I think you look at who got in last year, you got Paul Brown owner, uh, then you've got an offensive lineman, a quarterback and a defensive back receiver makes sense. in Chad Johnson, that's like, all right, are they going to go two offensive players or is there a chance enough that you want to go offense defense? So I was kind of factoring all these things in. So Willie Anderson was the guy that I think I would go with. I think yeah. he's the best football player on this list out of these names. The other two names I had were Boomer Esiason and Tim Crumrod. Yeah, I, 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 those guys are so far down my list. They, they really are. I, I think Crumrod's a nice player and, and was a good player. I just don't think he was – we're talking some generational talent that we're talking about right now. And honestly, Boomer, I could if you gave me five Bengals quarterbacks in history to rank between Joe Burrow, Andy Dalton, Carson Palmer, Boomer, and Ken Anderson, Boomer comes in fifth. Wow. Yeah, I mean – he, he did some pretty good things while he was here, though. I mean, you got to give him some credit for. Uh, he, he did. He had one year. One year. Well, on a, and, and a franchise that doesn't have a lot of years. I, I'm noting that's a you. pretty important year. I'm noting you, but you're talking about Lamar Parrish, a guy who made an all-decade team. Well, look, I'm. I would be fine with Lamar Parrish. In fact, I probably. It was him or Tim Crumrod. I felt like to add a defensive name in there, and I went with Crumrod mostly because of him just anchoring that defensive line for, I mean, what he was here for like 
10, 12 years. I mean, it was a, it was a long time that he played at a pretty high level. So yeah, no, no, I, I, Again, and, and it's it's funny when I say these guys are down the list for me. I'm talking about a list of fifteen of fifteen guys, the best of the best, right? Right, so best like play, players of all time in franchise history. Right, you know, it's not like splitting I'm splitting hairs. Yeah, it's not like I'm kicking him to the practice squad, but but yeah, he's he's just further down the list for me. Yeah, that's fair. So I think I would go with Chad Johnson and Willie Anderson. Okay, for the I, I I think Willie's a safe pick. I think that's one that I'd be shocked if he's not one of the two. And then at the other part, I'll be disappointed if it's not Lamar. Um, but I, I, I think there's enough worthy candidates. You're going to get another guy. You go, yeah, I can see him. Now you didn't make any case for Corey Dillon. No. Yeah. I, so to me, here's the other thing that I factor in a little bit when I'm doing this. And it's part of why Chad is a no brainer for me. Like what were they like when they were here? Were they fun? Did you enjoy them? Were, were, were they good to have around a lot? Corey Dillon left this place in a disgrace, was throwing his shoulder pads into the, and I'm not saying he wasn't justified in doing so, but it's hard for me to have a guy who left your franchise and was like, F all of you people on his way out in your first couple ring of honor list. I just, he'll make it for sure. He's definitely one of the best players in franchise history, but to put him in the second group of your ring of honor. I don't know if he exactly represents what I'm going for here. Yeah. And I didn't vote for him in the end. I just made a case for him is all. And, and your point's a good one. And, and you I, can I, make I, a case for him. And, no and, I, and, I, and I do think that that possibly holds it against Corey Dillon. And it, it may not even be, like I said, for, for me, my two votes, Willie Anderson, Lamar Parrish. And for next year, I would vote for Corey Dillon, Chad Johnson, but I could also see Corey getting kicked down the, the kick the can down the road for another year or two on him from fans. I, I can honestly see that from your yeah, perspective. I, I would think he would be, uh, my guess is he has one more year after. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. For this year before he's getting in but I could be wrong. All right, Skinny, let's switch gears here. The Reds will be playing here in just a couple hours today as we're recording this on Thursday morning. But coming into the day, they were 10 and 26 after going three and two since we last spoke. Not too much earth-shattering news to get to with the 10 and 26 team, but a few quick points I wanted to get your comment on. The first was, this goes all the way back to Sunday, Hunter Green was pulled from a no-hitter in the eighth inning Sunday after going seven and a third innings and throwing 118 pitches. The Reds ended up finishing off the no-hitter, but lost the game one to nothing after Art Warren came in and, and walked the bases loaded, and uh, then a ground ball got the run in. Did you have an issue with the way David Bell handled Hunter Green in that situation? I, I did, because I think he should have pulled him after seven, to be quite honest with you. I mean, Rick, he was not going to finish the ninth. I mean, you were, were you going to let him get to 135 pitches? That That is I, I can't agreed. imagine you were. So, so if you were not going to listen, if it, if it was him going to the ninth at the pitch county was, I'd have said, yeah, I, I'd like to see you try to finish this off. But he was going to have to get six more outs in a very economical fashion, which is not really his style. He was probably going to get to 135 pitches. So if you if you didn't think you were going to send him out for the ninth, which I can't imagine they thought they were going to send him out for, why would you send him out for the eighth? That was my thought as well. I always find these situations difficult when a player has a chance to do something like a no hitter. Great. And you're also worried about his own best interest in terms of his arm health, especially with a guy like Hunter Green, who's coming off Tommy John and who is very young still and is a flamethrower and all of those things. I mean, they were 
supposedly treating him with kid gloves this year to begin with and putting him on a pretty strict pitch count. And then all of a sudden, very early on, you're in this situation where he's well over 100 pitches already and has two more innings to finish off a no hitter. That's where I would have stepped in right there. Skinny is look, you you're not getting this no hitter, period. But you're not going to throw 130 pitches today and get through the ninth inning. So you're tiring. You're well over 100 pitches. You're not going back out for the eighth. Sorry. That would yeah. have been my play, too. I think that's an easy explanation to him of, hey, if this is the ninth inning, we'll, we'll give you a chance. But this is the eighth inning, and you're definitely not getting through two more. So uh, let's not worry about it. And, and he was clearly laboring out there, too. He goes out. He walks the first two batters. And the other thing that was crazy about it is they didn't even have anyone warming up. Heading right. into the inning after he right. walked the first guy, then they had to get Art Warren going. And by that time, he had walked a second guy and then Art Warren walks the bases loaded. So I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, I'm i not going to lose my mind about Hunter Green throwing 118 pitches, especially with the no, a couple of extra off yeah. days. Right, right. This week. But I, I, why? What point? Why? What yeah, what, point? exactly. What what were you doing running him back out there for the eighth inning? Yeah, no, that 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 to me is what was the point? So. Um, but boy, if you talk about a microcosm of a game for this it, season, that was it. Lose, it lose, losing one nothing when you got a no hitter. It's so good. I mean, honestly, that's exactly the types of things you need to happen in a season like this yeah. with this yes. team. A second, Connor Overton spun a gem on Tuesday night when he pitched seven and two thirds innings, allowing just two runs and a five to four win over the Guardians. Overton has made four starts and is one and zero with a one eighty two ERA. He hasn't given up a home run yet. He hasn't even given up more than two runs in a single game to this point. Do you think the Reds might have found something with this guy? Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's been to independent ball, independent ball a couple of different times, um, you know, because of arm issues and, and whatnot. And that's, I guess, my fear with a guy like that is, and, and the sample size is so small that, you know, now does he start getting back around the league and the league has the book on him? That being said, I mean, I think it is a great story that here's a guy fighting his way back twice from being basically demoted to independent league baseball. Um, and that's to, like playing for the Florence Freedom. That is correct. Yes, that is correct. And and to see him get back to the big leagues a second time through that, I mean, good for him. And then performing at a high level. And I hate to where, where would this pitching staff be without Connor Overton and his his handful of starts? A, a sad thing to have to say, but you're right. Yes, it, it's weird because. On one hand, you look at it and you see his background. And you go, okay, this guy's older to begin with. He's just now starting to get his shot. What are the chances that you really found a stud here? On the other hand, there is a case you can make that because of his lack of stuff, I mean, he just doesn't have impressive stuff at the major league level at all. His fastball's topping out about 92 miles an hour. You could see how this know, guy would get crazy. overlooked a little bit. And the, the thing I like that in games so far, what we've seen is he's a gamer with a bunch of different pitches and he has a great two seamer that moves a lot. And I think you could, I think the two pitches that I would like the most for a pitcher to have is a sinker that he can keep down and locate effectively or a two seamer that really has a lot of movement on it. And he seems to have, well, both he throws both of those pitches, right. but the, the, the two-seamer really has a lot of movement on it, and he hits the corners well. He likes to throw it up in the zone and then uses sinker and his change up lower in the zone. I've been impressed with how he pitches and how he thinks about the game, but it's also hard to imagine a guy that can't miss a single bat. I mean, every time a guy swings, he's able to put the ball in play against Connor. It's hard to imagine he's going to be able to continue this, this run, but – hopefully, hopefully you can. I mean, I'd love to think that the Reds go into next year thinking they have at least three of their five starters in place. 
Yeah, that would be shocking to think that, that he's going to do that. But I, I do think that um, I, I know everybody's big on whiff rate and, and, and swing and miss rate, and I fully understand that. Uh, pitching to contact is not something people are comfortable with. But if the contact is not solid contact and regularly hard hit contact, um, then maybe you, you do have something there with him. And that's why it's going to be interesting to watch this play itself out. I mean, a lot of guys got by in the, in the, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and in through the 2000s and probably in through the early 2010s, not throwing 100 miles an hour. I mean, it feels like that's all we're looking for anymore, right, is the guy with the, with the live arm and then we'll figure out the rest. Well, you know, maybe this guy's just an artist of a pitcher and, 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 and can get guys out effectively by, by pitching to contact. Um, you know, it's probably not the case, but it's an interesting case study. All right, let's move on, touch on the NBA real quick. We are in the conference finals portion of the NBA playoffs. The Heat got out to a 1-0 lead on the Celtics with a 118-107 win on Tuesday, and the Warriors beat the Mavericks 112-87 on Wednesday night to take a 1-0 lead in the West. Skinny, the Warriors were plus 850 to win it all before the playoffs started, and both of us said we'd take them at the time. I actually followed through on that, so I'm hoping they continue this run. So, so did I, and I followed through on the heat as well. There you go. The Warriors are now the favorites to win it at plus 125 this morning on DraftKings. What, what are your thoughts here now that we're in the conference finals? We've got one game played on each side. How are you feeling about each series? Yeah, the, the Warriors have been the most consistent team in the playoffs, have they not? I mean, yeah. they, they they by, by far. Um, Dallas, we don't get much right, but we got that one right. Yes. Dallas is still scary because this is the third, what, the third straight series they've lost game one, and then all of a sudden Luka turns it on, and he still is a dominating force. But it's always felt like this whole series of Dallas is eventually going to fall apart because Luka can't carry them all the way, and that's really hard to do. And I think especially against a team as good as the Suns, it's going to prove especially with not having home court, which they didn't in the Sun Series either. I mean, they won game seven at Phoenix. I, I just, I, I think I think Golden State's good enough to go to Dallas and win at least a game. I don't think Dallas can steal any games from, from Golden State anyway. So I still think Golden State's really the, the, the team to beat overall. And I'm sticking with the Heat. You know, there's just something about them. They know how to win. And while they had that little bickering session at the end of the regular year where Jimmy Butler was going to fight Eric Spolstra, and then somebody was going to, I can't remember which teammate was going to fight Jimmy Butler to take up for Eric Spolstra. And yet here they are playing really good team basketball. Um, I'm sticking with my, if I can get the two to the finals, I'm sitting pretty. Well, Jimmy Butler's crazy. He's and nuts. He was, he's really I'm, good. I'm sure he was the issue when all that stuff oh, flared absolutely. up at the end of the year, but he is playing at an insane level right now. Yes. And he, you know, it's probably Luke has been the best player in the playoffs, but Jimmy Butler's not far behind. The thing is, their role guys are just so good at playing their roles. Well, and that's what the Suns just didn't have at all. Right. I mean, looking back, every everyone had the Suns as the heavy, heavy favorite in the West. And looking back, they seemed so limited on offense at times, even with Devin Booker and Chris Paul out there, that it's like, I'm not really sure why everyone was so confident in the Suns running through the West this year. Yeah, I, 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 I think, you know, some of that is because of that talent level, but but I, I do wonder this, and I, and I obviously Patrick Beverly went nuclear on on Chris Paul on on ESPN a couple of days ago. I, I don't think it was completely fair, but I do think the argument about Chris Paul it is fair is at thirty seven years old playing all these extra games in the playoffs. Does he just wear down? Yeah, well, and he's got that type of body where he's undersized and not a freak athlete at this point, obviously, to where right it, it matters when he loses a step or when he's a little more fatigued and he's not an outside shooter. 
So uh, it just makes it tough. And when he drops off on the offensive end for them, they just become so limited. They drop off. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And you saw that big time those last three games of that series. So a little bit surprised that the, the Mavs made it this far. I can't see them beating the Warriors. I don't either. I don't, I don't see them winning a game at Golden State, no matter how. They, even if this thing goes seven, I just don't see them winning a game at Golden State. All right. With that said, let's get on to our betting segment. We've got a, a couple of things to get to here. Let's start with the Preakness. Skinny, do you have a pick for us for the Preakness coming up this weekend? Yeah, I get. I mean, Epicenter is obviously the six to five favorite. And I get it. I mean, ran second in the Derby, and, and and I mean, looked like the winner coming down the lane until the horse dropped out of the sky, rich strike, and came from nowhere to to, to swallow them all whole. And some of that was was pace related. So I can certainly see six to five being a square price uh, on that horse. I'm just not of the ilk to play it. I will certainly put him in a in a pick four or a pick three to close to. Um, but uh, I can't make a win bet there. The 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 horse I do like though is the second choice early voting didn't run in the in the uh it's 72 in the morning line did not run in the in the derby ran second in the wood memorial and got caught at the wire by mo donegal but set the pace and really if early voting can go set the pace and not be suicidal like they were in the derby and i don't think you will because it's only a nine horse field you get 20 horses in the derby occasionally you get a couple that decide we're going to go as fast as we can go and it breaks everything up and it makes for what we saw which was a crazy cavalry charge to the wire I don't think you get, you very rarely get that in the Preakness anyway. So I think early voting goes and makes the lead. I do like simplification a little bit. Uh, the one horse at six to one, uh, he ran fourth in the Derby and was closing, but again, was closing into that fast pace. I don't think there's going to be quite as fast a pace here. Um, so I'm going to go, uh, and one other horse I like too, and it's a, it's it's going to have to take a big step forward. The two creative minister at 10 to one, he ran um, at Churchill Downs, ran an allowance race and won. He got a pretty decent speed figure out of that day. He's going to have to take a step forward, but I kind of like the horse put him in if you're going to bet Superfectus or Trifectus somewhere underneath. Um, and Epicenter's got to be in there somewhere. I, I think it's going to be a pretty chalky race, to be honest with you. There's a couple of really, really long shots that have no chance, in my opinion. There's a filly that Dwayne Lucas is running um, that's that's 9-2, to two actually, and won the Kentucky Oaks, which is the Philly Kentucky Derby, for those that, that don't know, run on Friday. Um, but I, I, And Phillies have won this race before, but I, I just don't see it. So I'm going to go... I'm going to go early voting on top of simplification with epicenter third and then um, clunking up for fourth will be my 10 to one horse creative minister. All right, there you go. So the other thing that we had on the betting side of things was the week one lines for college football, the local teams got them right here. This is from sportsbetting.ag, Kentucky is a 20-point favorite at home against Miami of Ohio. Arkansas is a 7.5-point favorite at home against Cincinnati. And Ohio State is a 14-point favorite at home against Notre Dame. Skinny, out of those three games and those three lines, which one do you feel most confident as we sit here on May 19th? I mean, I'm going to sound like a homer, but Kentucky laying 20 at home to, to Miami of Ohio. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking we're talking upper echelon SEC team against mid-level MAC team um, with with a guy who's being touted as the number one pick in the NFL draft potentially and Will Levis. Uh, yeah, it's a new offensive coordinator. Yeah, Chris Rodriguez may not play because of the DUI situation, but they've got a stable of running backs that can certainly handle Miami of Ohio. I just think it's a, it's a men against boys scenario. MAC schools have won some upsets before, but... I mean, this feels like Kentucky will roll. 
I'll go like 45, 10 and feel comfortable laying just 20. Yeah. You know, the UC line is an interesting one because I do think Arkansas is, is, is going to be good. I think Cincinnati's going to still be good, but I think the question at quarterback just, just scares me off. Even getting the hook with the seven that you could see Arkansas, you know, winning this like 27, 17 or something like that. And, and you see in it the whole way. And then somehow you look up and you go, wait a minute, my seven and a half didn't work. And in the Ohio state line, I can see two scenarios, obviously new coach and Marcus Freeman. Um, what's Notre Dame going to look like? Uh, you know, it's still Notre Dame. They still have dudes. I can see them certainly hanging tough with Ohio state, maybe even going and pulling the upset. I can also see Ohio state rolling that thing 45, 21. And so I don't feel good either laying the 14 or taking the 14 in the UC case because of some of the unknowns. I don't like taking the seven and a half. I certainly don't feel good laying the seven. And a half. Kentucky just seems like the easy play out of those three. I, I couldn't agree more. That's a, for me, it's an easy call. You play Kentucky minus 21. Everybody hates it on this that listens to this podcast, but they know I love early week. Big lines are my thing. I mean, I see a three, four touchdown line early in the season. I'm all over it. So this is a natural play for me. But the, the Notre Dame and Ohio State is like, I'm not even coming close to touching that as we sit here on May 19th. And UC Arkansas, I'm with you in that. I'm not against saying that UC could end up having another really good year and they might return to the top of the American Conference and all of that. But I don't want to be betting on that week one against an SEC team. Let them figure Again, it out first. Let them have some time. Right. Right. And especially when it, they might play both quarterbacks for all we know, right? They might play play Ben Bryant and uh, Evan Prater. And, and it just doesn't seem like a recipe to go win a game on the road in the, against an SEC team that's, that's gotten better over the last couple of years. Hard to make a call on that right now, especially without really seeing anything from either guy. But who would you start at quarterback for if you were coaching UC? I think Ben Bryan. I, I've always thought of Evan Prater as athlete more than quarterback. And I did, I broadcast a handful of his games at Wyoming um, where he did show great arm strength, but also was really erratic at times uh, throwing the football. The arm strength's not a question, um, it's just it's consistency, it's accuracy. Uh, he, I think he does obviously great things with his legs. I, I, I've said this before. I hate to do it. I, I think he'd be a great wide receiver. I just don't know about him long term as a as a as a quarterback. I, I, he's going to get his chance, um, but I, I, you know, Ben Bryant's the safer play for me, especially in Week One on the road. Well, and Ben Bryant is a guy who started at UC, left and went to the MAC, and now he's coming back to UC, and the coaching staff recruited him to come back. It makes me think a little bit that Luke Fickle is thinking he needed another quarterback this year. I can't imagine I think he, he, did too. he convinced Ben Bryant to come back to sit behind Evan Prater. No, I'm, I have to imagine you. that recruiting pitch was mostly about Ben Bryant being the quarterback this year. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I'm kind of with you on that. All right. Let's get into some Ask Skinny Anything. Let's. Skinny, do you have any picks for the PGA Championship? I, I do. I, I, I took a, a couple. I took Justin Thomas. I took Max Homa. Um, and I took, um, oh gosh, who's the, oh, I took a, a long shot play on, on Corey Connors. All right. There you go. Uh, another sports question here. Oh, so I got one. I took Jordan Spieth. I, I took, I was just, I knew I took four and I took Jordan Spieth. All right. In honor of how bad the Reds have been this season, what's the worst season for Cincinnati's professional sports that Skinny remembers? This is not only wins and losses, but also the extracurriculars like quotes and actions from players, coaches, owners, et cetera. I'll go, oh man, I was going to say 87. I'll go, I'll go 89 was bad for this reason. 
that's when all the Pete Rose stuff was going on with baseball and when he was finally suspended. And then the Bengals were coming off the Super Bowl and then kind of laid an egg and didn't make the playoffs in 89. It was just just felt depressing that whole year. So that's the, so that's it. Easy answer, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd have to sit down and go year by year and go, oh, yeah, that year wasn't very good either. But that, that year just felt depressing from start to finish. What about just like the season of one individual team who had the worst season on their side, whether it be Reds or Bengals? Oh, it has to be. And I, I'm, I'm going to probably get the year wrong. I'm going to say, yeah, I know I won't get the year wrong. 2002 Bengals under Dick LeBeau, yeah. year before Marvin Lewis was in. They, just, they started in such disastrous fashion that it was so, it was just, it was depressing, embarrassing. And then it was apathy that set in pretty quickly. Um, that season was just, ugh, that season was horrifyingly bad. And I was doing post-game radio then. Ugh. Brutal. In fact, that was when Tom Gamble and I made up the whole. Uh, it was it was it was called Bengals therapy. Is what we let people do after after those Bengals game. Just let them let them be therapeutic about it. Uh, that carried on for many years going yes, forward did. too. Yes, it did. Skinny, how many times does someone have to sneeze before you stop saying "bless you" and get annoyed? <laughs> That's great. I don't know if I get annoyed, but I'm usually about a two or three "bless you" guy. After that, you're on your own. I I, I, I figured I've blessed you enough and. And you do know why you say bless you, correct? I don't. I, I, okay. I it's one thing I've never understood and I won't I refuse to do it. Supposedly the the I don't know if it's a wives' tale or fable, or whatever, that when you sneeze, your soul leaves your body, and then hence you bless the bless them back. Wow. Yeah. All right. That it's a little bit deep for me to understand. Um to me, I don't understand why we put sneezing on a pedestal as like it's the you feel bad for people when they're sneezing, but if they're belching or farting or something else, it's like, oh, they're disgusting. You know, it's like to me, they're all the same. They're all bodily functions. Why are we getting so mad about someone farting next to us? But they sneeze and blow snot everywhere. And we're like, oh, bless you. You OK? Over there? Yeah, well, as long, you, as long as you're sneezing into like your elbow or into a, a tissue or something, you're just going Bleh! and blowing stuff everywhere. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of that. OK, but I mean, my backside is completely covered by multiple layers of cloth and I've kept it tucked away all day. It, but people are not going to be happy if I'm just ripping farts next to them. Yeah, no one's saying yeah. bless you because you just man. Yeah, there's nothing worse than the the. the, the just the, the 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 rancid odor of a fart where you just don't even know. Yeah, no, I, I can't agree with you on that one. A sneeze, a sneeze, you can you can control a little bit more. The fart, man, if it's a bad one, it's but just. I think that's just you're you're invading you're invading my turf at that point. You Keith. you just made my point. You can control the sneeze a little bit. So why is Fred over here sneezing at his desk next to me three times? Get up, go to the bathroom, just like you would if you were gonna fart. Fred, give him the walking sneezes, just like you well, would. A lot the of people farts. do. I will. I, I, I will say there are people that, that do, in fact, I know I'll do that if, 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 and I don't, I used to have really bad allergies. I take Claritin anymore and I'm, I'm good with it, but I, you know, I, I've seen people that go on sneezing jags and when they do, they'll, they'll get up and leave. Cause a lot of times people are, I don't know why they're embarrassed by it, but they are, but I, most people with common sense, if they're on a real bad sneezing jag where it's like one right after another, after another, they're going to get up and go, trust yeah. me. I just, I refuse to put sneezing on a pedestal. I'm not saying bless you if you're around me and you're sneezing and I don't expect it in return. Call me what you will. I'm going to call you an unholy, unholy heathen then. Well, that's that's accurate. That is, that is accurate. That plays into it as well. What does Skinny think of guy who stands up in the aisle of the plane, the nanosecond the plane gets to the jetway, just to stand there another 10 minutes? I love that. That, that, that guy's either one of two things. 
clueless about how the operation works or completely claustrophobic and just has to get the hell out of there, even though he's not getting out of there because the jet bridge still has to come out. They still have to get a couple of things straight. And he's right. It takes for that's why I literally when I fly like a Southwest where you, you know, you board in certain you know numbers or whatever, I, I, I don't usually fret where I'm because I'm I always go right to the back of the airplane. You all can get off. I'm going to sit there while everybody deplanes, and then I'm going to leisurely walk down the aisle and not have to push and shove and stand and wait and wait for grandma to grab her bag out of the upper berth because it's going to take 15 years to do so, or Fred who's stuffed too much into the upper berth and he can't get the thing. He barely wedged it in. Now he can barely wedge it back. I'm just going to sit in the back of the plane and watch all y'all deplane, and then I'll get off too. No, the, the guy who stands up, the I do love that guy. It literally hear the ding, you know, where they they take the seatbelt sign off, and you hear click, 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 stand and up, it- grab his stuff, and stand there. Yeah, he's halfway up already. You know, you're not even landed yet. And he's like halfway out of his seat getting ready, starting to get all those things in his pockets. It's like, look, if you have another flight to catch, you got like a short layover. It's going to be a tight squeeze. I get hustling through the airport, but I hate to tell you, you're not getting off the plane any faster. All right. We're going to go by row and you're going to wait your turn regardless. That's that's exactly right. And that's exactly it. The other thing that I hate about it is the the people who who will be like one to they wait this whole time. You've, you've had 20 rows ahead of you that you had to wait for. But then when it's up to your row and that other person's row, they like have to jump in front of you and go. No, right. right? Like That's they right. got to beat you out. It's like, go ahead, my guy. You got it. I know. I know my wife just went ahead of me and now you jumped in between me and her. Go ahead. I'm not. I really do not care that much. We're both going to be in the same spot waiting for our bags here in a minute. And like I said, man, I do. I, I my seat. I pick it towards the back of the airplane. If I can, usually the back row, because not anybody. A lot of times you can get that that extra seat next to you because not everybody wants to go to the back row um, for the reasons that you're talking. They want to get off the airplane. I'll just. I'm fine sitting there. I'll sit there for another few minutes. It's not going to hurt me. The only problem with the very back row that you can get occasionally is if you're next to the bathroom and uh, you know. People are just dropping bombs on your flight and that's waving point. that door next to you. That that can be a bit of a problem. I've that's had why that I take the twice. window seat and give myself a little more space. Yeah, that that's a good call. What Back do you think? Window seat. What do you think of a uh, guy who claps when the plane lands? Um, <laughs> I've been that guy before. In fact, our whole flight was. This is coming back from Hawaii back in what year? What two thousand two? It doesn't count if you almost crashed. Well, that's because we almost did. I mean, yeah. literally, as we were. As we were about to touch down, somehow a big wind gust tipped that wing to the left. I mean, literally right before we touched down. And the whole, I mean, all of us just gasped for a second. He got it right really fast, made a great landing, and everybody did clap at that. But, yeah, um, yeah, I'm a big clap clap guy. Our, our guy, Jed Debussy, is a big fan of the people who clap on airplanes. I, you know, we're, we're being kind of uh, judgmental here with people on airplanes right now, but no one – is more outlandish with their airplane etiquette than Jed Debussy. Oh, no he question. Do, he doesn't no. believe men should be allowed to wear shorts on airplanes. Yeah, that's, that's a step. He's an far. idiot. Yeah, he's an idiot. Yeah. Uh, do you believe that UFOs are real, Skinny? We'll wrap it up with this. I do believe UFOs are real. Um, but I, I... And I do believe they're probably from another solar system, but... The UFO definition, that's what makes this so broad a lot of times, is a UFO could be from another country. It's just an unidentified flying object. It may just be somebody spying on us from another country. We don't know. I still don't, as much as they've had these hearings and whatnot, there still hasn't been a whole lot of transparency behind all this. And in fact, I I love one lawmaker goes, a lot of this, it's a security threat because we just don't know what it is. Well, that's troubling to me. I would think that as much as we can do technologically, that we would at least 
figure out what that thing flying up there is and if you can kind of figure out is it is it human made or is it made from somewhere else right i i would i would hope we'd have that technology by now right yeah i mean there was a a defense official i think that said the government has about 400 files of reported ufos like fairly legitimate reports i guess and it have you've seen some of those videos where they're like it looks like a little um kind of like a tic tac thing on their radar some of these fighter pilots or whatever they'll have these on the radar, I'll have a little like tic tac, and then things bouncing around. They're following, and it's all gone. of sudden, it just and it's gone. Yeah. yeah, it zooms off at like an insane rate, and it just disappears. I mean, that's that's nuts. The, those videos that they have like that are crazy, and I don't know what we're supposed to make of it. But yeah, I believe in UFOs. And I believe in extraterrestrial life. I don't think there's any doubt it's out there. Yeah, I, I don't know if I take that that complete step, but I also don't want to be arrogant enough to say that that's not that's not a possibility. And so. Um, I, I just wish there was more transparency. Are you going to scare us to tell us that there's other planetary things coming to look at us? No, Actually, I, just, I, I think it'd be a welcome distraction at this point in our yeah, world. You're, you might be right. It might unite the world to say, hey, we may have some other people from other planets coming to take our planet. How about we all band together and take them on? I, I don't know that it unites anything, but I do know that all these idiot conspiracy theorists that are spending their time doing uh, harmful things would be much better off just looking for aliens and trying to figure out if UFOs are real. Yeah, that's that's a good call. Good call. Uh, I'm I'm a we. Everyone knows we're big ghost guys, so yes, I don't think yes. it's very shocking that we would, we would also believe in. Dude, UFOs. this is this is no lie. Speaking of that, very quickly, I was what was it Saturday? I was I was was it Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. Um, I was home by myself with with the dogs for a good chunk of the day, just kind of laying around. Nothing really on TV that piqued my interest for a while, so I'm just kind of flipping around, flipping around. And I swear I heard two footsteps in the hall to which I got up and thought, oh, did somebody just get home? I thought they were going to get home till six or seven tonight. And so I hopped up and obviously nothing was there, but as God is my witness, dude, I heard two footsteps in the hall. Well, your house is haunted. We've gone over that before, no right? Question. Yeah. Well, I think it's still settling after 30 years, which is a little unsettling. And uh, that's probably <laughs> sounds like another problem, probably part of it. Too. I, hey, the other one is at night occasions I'll hear I'll hear a crack around my TV set that sits on our on a on a dresser or right behind a dresser. I hear that a lot. And then I look up I'm like, well, nothing's wrong with it. So what, what what's going on? Is somebody touching it? What what's happening? I mean, I, I think we know exactly what's happening. It's, do, it's funny. It's funny this came up too, because I actually got a direct message this week from a, a guy who had mentioned actually two of them. One guy who had said, Hey, why don't you guys tell ghost stories anymore? And then um, I went back and forth with him a couple of times. And then another guy a couple of days before that had actually sent us a ghost story for us to talk about. The only thing was it was an old one. I think we actually had talked about it before. It was a good story, but I was just like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like seven years old. So, wow. Uh, yeah, I was like, I don't know that we're going to get into that one on air. But, uh, you know, look, if you got good ghost stories for us, feel free to send them in. If we find some, we'll, we'll bring them back. Yeah, we're not we'll against talking ghosts. We just uh, haven't had any ghost content recently. Yeah, no, I, I, but I, I, I swear that the, the two footsteps, it's, it's still freaking me out. I'm like, somebody was there. There was somebody there. I, I have no doubt that your house has been haunted. We've had probably about seven stories about your house over the yes. years about yes. it being haunted. I think at this point, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, no question. No question. All right. Appreciate the questions as always, Rick. Thank you very much. We'll be back uh, one week from today to discuss some more sports and other things and maybe ghost stories. Thanks for being with us. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly poetry edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. <laughs>